The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, we're going to kick off our brand new series today called Following Jesus with a message that's titled Jesus Calls. If you have a pen, write that down. Jesus calls. We're going to go to Sunday school for just a moment. Some of you may have been raised in church and you may have had the Sunday school experience. And we're going to go to Sunday school for just a minute because I think it's important for us to learn about how Jesus called when we look at Scripture. So how Jesus called is very important. We need to kind of establish and build a foundation or a timeline in which Jesus called His disciples so we can understand how He called them and how He's still calling us today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I don't have flannel graph this morning. For those of you who went to Sunday school, you'll know what that's all about. It was always a big joy to get to be the person that got selected to get to move the flannel graph little characters that day. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? That's okay. I'm sorry you had a terrible childhood. No, <clears throat> Flannel graph didn't enhance my childhood that much. I'm kidding. So the Gospel of John was written by Jesus' disciple named John. But the John that we're going to read about in the book of John is John the Baptist. So to not cause confusion, when you see us reading about John in John chapter 1, it's not talking about John the author of John. It's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this guy that was actually related to Jesus. He was his cousin. And God had called John the Baptist to be what we call the forerunner or the person who went before Christ. Uh, the book of Isaiah prophesied that there would be a person that would come um, up that would be like a voice crying out in the wilderness to make way for the Lord. And this is the forerunner, the person who's preparing the way for Jesus. And so John's ministry was one where he would preach repentance, and he would teach repentance and baptize people into repentance. And so if people would repent to God, then he would baptize them as a sign that they had repented. And so that's why he was called John the Baptist. Some people thought this guy was crazy because he lived out in the wilderness and he wore camel's hair as clothes and he ate wild locusts and honey and that's kind of what he was known for. I don't know how you know someone's diet, um, but apparently they knew what his diet was. Um, and they knew what he ate, and they knew about him, and, and there may have been a lot of gossip circulation around him. There was a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees, and apparently John had gained quite the following, because uh, they said, we want to know what John's all about. John the, John the Baptist, the guy who's baptizing people. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees, sent a group of people to go investigate because this guy's gaining some notoriety, gaining some popularity. He's got disciples. He's got people that are following him, listening to his teaching. And because he's kind of gaining popularity and people are hearing what he's saying, they said, we want to go investigate. And that's where we kind of pick up in this story in John chapter 1, John uh, 1 and verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist, remember. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That means the anointed one, the, the sent one. Uh, I am not the Christ. I'm not the one that's come from God. Verse 21. And they said to him, Well, then who are you? What are you? Are you Elijah? And he's like, Nope, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? He said, Nope, not the prophet. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to the people who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he's letting them know, this is who I am according to Scripture. I'm the one that's making the way straight. And if you look that phrase up in Aramaic, make the way straight, it was a term that was used when a dignitary would come to town. Someone important. Hey, we got to get ready. We're having this, uh, this king or we're having this prince or whoever it may be. Make the way straight. Go out and make sure that the paths are prepared. Let's go and make sure that the roads look good. Let's make sure the town looks good. The band's queued up. We're going to make the way straight. We're going to prepare for this person's arrival. And John said, that's my role. That's what I'm doing. But he wasn't referring to preparing the actual streets. Instead, he was referring to actually preparing people's hearts to receive Christ, to receive Jesus as the Messiah, as the one that was sent from God. That was his job. And so he's preaching repentance, baptizing under repentance, saying, this guy is coming. I am preparing people's hearts so when Jesus comes, they'll be able to receive him and know that it's him and see that it's him. So that was John's role here. And he had disciples and he had folks that were following him, listening to his teaching. Let's look further at this timeline. Let's go back to John, and let's pick up at verse 35. So John 1 and 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked as Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the guy. Behold the Lamb of God. Then Scripture says that the two disciples heard him say this, and they said, Okay, well, we're going to go follow him then. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him, and he said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you shall see. So they came and they saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his, his own brother Simon and said to him, hey, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So let's just roll back this timeline for just a minute. and Let's think about what we've just read. John the Baptist has disciples. People are following him. He's making path straight the, the pathway for the Lord. Jesus comes. He goes, look, that's him. That's the Christ. That's the one I've been talking about, teaching about. They go, okay, and they just start following him. And John's like, good, they're following Jesus. Now, Jesus turns around and he says, what are you seeking? And they said, we just want to come and talk to you. He said, you're the Lamb of God. Okay, well, come on, guys. Come and talk to me. And he said, let me go get my brother, Simon. And so Andrew, who was one of John's disciples, who later became one of Jesus' disciples, who was with another disciple that followed him, which most scholars say is John, the author that, we're, that wrote this, who was also a disciple of Jesus, he goes and finds his brother Peter and says, Hey, or Simon Peter, he says, hey, Simon, let's go. Uh, John the Baptist said that the Lamb of God is here. Let's go meet him. I want to introduce you to him. And he says, hi, my name is Simon. He goes, nope, I'm going to change your name to Peter. Okay. <laughs> now, if you allowed someone to speak to you at that level where you would submit to them and allow them to change your name, that meant that they had some level of authority that you recognized, and so you would have to submit to that. And so, obviously, Simon said, I recognize there's something different about you, and I submit to that. And so, from that point on, we know him as Simon Peter, or sometimes just referenced as Peter. So, there was something to that. So, now, John had prepared the hearts of Jesus's first disciples because he taught them about the Messiah coming regularly. 
Now, when Jesus came to them in Matthew 4 and 17, that we, that's where we see the calling of the disciples where uh, they're mending their nets because all of these men who had followed Jesus in the beginning, these guys were fishermen by trade. These guys, this, they were kind of bivocational. So they followed John the Baptist, and they also had a fishing business, and they were all in business together. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they all had a business together. And you can see that in Scripture where they all had this fishing company, and they went out when that was a very lucrative business during that day and time. Uh, these guys probably did pretty well for themselves if they had, you know, uh, four people as business partners in this thing, and they were doing well as fishermen. They were mending their nets one day, and Jesus comes up, and He just looks at them and says, hey guys, come follow me. And the Bible says in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4, they left their nets and they followed Him. Have you ever wondered why did they leave their nets and immediately follow Jesus? It was because John the Baptist had already introduced them. They already knew who this guy was. They already spent the night with him and talked to him. And John had already said, behold, the Lamb of God. So they already had met him. And he had also been introduced to Peter as well and gave him a new name at this time. So what happened next is that Jesus goes into the desert, into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasts. That's where we see that Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan over 40 days. During this 40 days, while Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, John the Baptist gets arrested. The people that go back and report to their higher-ups, they say, this guy's a heretic, he needs to be arrested. They throw John the Baptist in jail. And so that's kind of the timeline of what we see when Jesus goes up to the disciples as they're mending their nets, and they're kind of lost. They're like, okay, we followed Jesus, or we followed John, we followed Jesus, and then I guess we just went back to John because Jesus went away, and we're like, where did he go? And then there's Jesus again, and he says, hey guys, come follow me. And they immediately drop their nets, and they go to follow him. See, their hearts had already been prepared for the call. John had been working on their hearts, preparing them to receive Jesus when he called, so that when he said, come follow me, they could say yes. He was making the path straight. He was making the way straight. And they saw it, and they wanted to spend time. They were attracted to him. And then Jesus goes away for a month and a half, and then he comes back, and Jesus comes to them again. He says, hey, come follow me. And they immediately left their nets and they go and follow him yet again because their hearts had been prepared. All they needed to do was say yes. God uses people to prepare hearts to hear Jesus' call. He uses people to prepare hearts because when Jesus calls, we want everyone to be able to say yes. But God used John the Baptist to help make those pathways straight. And God can use you to prepare people's hearts as well. John the Baptist knew he wasn't a celebrity. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist is quoted as saying, Jesus, the one that's coming, the Messiah, he said, I'm not even worthy to unlace his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do that. So he's like, I know this isn't about me. I know I'm not a celebrity. I know that I'm not trying to build a following unto myself. My job is to point people to Jesus when He comes and to help prepare their hearts to make the way straight, to prepare the path. I know my role. God can use anyone. One of our core values here at Word of Grace is that we strive to make people know and feel valued. It's, it's just one of the things that is our core values. And when you love someone and you serve them with the love of God, you are a you are a part of preparing their heart. 
When you love someone enough to serve them, to give of your time, to give of your talent, to give of your resources, to be able to say yes You may not be the person that gets to maybe lead them to making a decision for Christ, but you may be a part of making the pathway straight to their heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And this is why we can't undermine or belittle what we do for God, no matter how glamorous or how front and center it may be. Some of us think that only the important roles in Christianity and following Jesus are those that garner the most attention someone standing on a stage and teaching, or maybe someone being a leader in a certain area, or someone being a paid staff person in the context of a church, and everything else is just secondary. No, that's not at all true. We all have a role, and every role matters. Amen? We all have a role in the body of Christ. No one is more important than anyone. I'm not more important than anyone. doesn't matter. I have my role. I have my responsibility, and I'm supposed to function in that role and in that responsibility. All of the parts of the body have to function together, but all of those parts are functioning because they said yes when Jesus called. Someone had to go yes. Someone had to raise their hand and say, yes, I'll answer that call when Jesus is calling me, when He's wanting me to come and follow Him because my heart has been prepared. The pathway of my heart has been made straight, so I'm now in a position to be able to say yes when He calls. When the opportunity is there, I can say yes because the heart work has been done. God can use you to help to lead someone to Christ, to help navigate, to nudge them, to point them to Christ, and every role is significant. I don't want anyone at Word of Grace to ever say that, oh, I'm just a greeter, I'm just a cafe worker, I'm just a kids worker. I'm just a this. I'm just a that. I'm just a person that just prays at home, and that's all I can do. I'm just a person that… You've got to eliminate this idea of somehow that what you do doesn't matter, that it doesn't impact eternity because every role that God has called us to and every gift and every opportunity that He's drawn us to, to say yes to, has an impact in the grand scheme of eternity, whether it's front and center or behind the scenes. Amen, somebody? And we have to understand this and believe that. We have to believe that every person matters in the grand scheme of things and that God has called and equipped us and given us opportunities, and He's saying, will you say yes? And we have to believe that those things matter. Because if we don't think that they matter, then we're going to treat those things like they don't matter because we're going to feel like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. No, it matters a great deal because you're helping to prepare the path to make the way straight. So when Jesus calls, that person can say yes. God uses people to prepare hearts for Jesus' call. And Jesus doesn't just call once. It's not a one-time deal. Jesus calls over and over and over again. We see this in Scripture. We see this with Jesus' disciples. The first time that these guys were meeting Jesus, they were actually following John the Baptist. And then John says, look, there's Jesus. And they are just attracted to Him. They want to follow Him. He says, what are you guys doing? Can we come over to your house? Jesus says, yeah, come on. Can I bring my brother, Simon? Yeah, I'll change his name. Let's go. <laughs> He'll freak him out. And then after that, we read in the book of John where 
Jesus also found Philip and Nathaniel, who Nathaniel was most likely the disciple known as Bartholomew, because Bartholomew is actually a last name. That, that bar means son, and then the last part of his name means uh, Talmari, son of Talmari. And actually, as we look at Scripture, we see that all of these interactions that he had with these different people were a part of his call, were a part of drawing them to himself. And then he didn't just stop there. He called them continually over and over again because after the first initial meeting, we find after he was in the desert for 40 days, we see they're mending their nets. They're just still doing their fishing business. And he says, hey guys, come follow me. And then there's another instance in Scripture over in Luke 5. You can turn over there where Jesus once again calls his disciples. Jesus calls them, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little bit from the land. So he gets into one of the boats. He goes, hey, Peter, I want to get in your boat. Why don't we push out from the land? He goes, sure, let's do that. And when he had finished talking, he said, why don't you put out your nets back out into the water? And Simon Peter, he responds and he says, Master, we've toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the net. Stop right there. We see that Simon Peter, he calls him master, which lets us know that he's already submitted himself to Jesus' authority. He's been following Jesus. He doesn't just refer to him as this guy that got in my boat. He says, master, uh, we've been fishing all night. Like, this is what we do. Like, you do the speaking thing, and you're really good at it. We got the fishing thing, even though the creator of the fish is sitting in the boat, and the creator of the, the, creator of the boat, and the creator of the water, and is sitting in the boat. But they're thinking, Jesus, we got this fishing thing. This is what we do for a living, bro. Like, we, we've got this fishing thing. And Jesus says, no, won't you? Go out into the deep. Cast your nets. On the other side, verse 6 says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats that were on the shore, hey, guys, hey, we need some help over here. My boat is starting to sink. There's too many fish in my boat. But when Simon Peter saw all these fish. He fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said this. This is interesting. Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. They were also with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed Jesus. So in this story, we see that there was another call, but this call was different because now everything that Peter had thought he needed to be successful and to be secure was now given to him in an abundance like he had never seen before. Could you imagine all the fish? He said, man, we could retire on this catch. Could you imagine thinking about all of the things you could go and buy once you're able to sell these fish? And, and, and maybe he was thinking, man, I could hire a lot of people. We're going to have to clean these, these dudes. This is going to be some work. This is awesome. This is so great. We could expand the fishing business. All. But he wasn't thinking about how to expand his business because he was so overwhelmed with who Jesus was. He was so astonished that he fell down on his knees and he says, get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. Why? Why would he say that in that moment after the biggest catch of his career? 
after the biggest catch of his career, really what happened is that now they're confronted. The disciples are confronted with what's more important. Are you going to follow the blessing or the blesser? Are you going to follow the one who, just because I can get stuff, or are you going to follow him because of how awesome he is and who he is, because he is the Lamb of God? Jesus tested their hearts in this moment, and instead of being attractive to the catch, Peter repents in his lack of faith in who Jesus was because he didn't realize who was in the boat. He thought, I'm just following this good teacher. Behold the Lamb of God. He's kind of halfway in, halfway out. He's kind of halfway bought into this idea that Jesus is truly who he says he is. And so he's still holding on to his fishing business for security in case this thing doesn't work out. In case this whole following Jesus thing goes south, I've got a backup plan. And Jesus uses people to, to nudge us towards himself. He uses pastors. He uses co-workers, spouses, friends, people in your community group, people on your serving team. He's working in our hearts to put us in a position to say, yes, yes, you are the Christ. You are my hope. You are my source. You are my answer. So I can say, yes, Jesus, have your way in my life. Let my life be used for his glory. Let my life be used for whatever you need. I'm a sinful man. Forgive me for doubting that you truly are who you say you are. These men that Jesus called, they basically had a sixth grade education. Because when you were a young Jewish person, you would have been taught the first five books of the Bible, and you would have memorized them by the time you were 12 years old. That was your spiritual education. At that point, when you had memorized the Torah and you were able to recite it, you were able to have it in your heart and know these things, and you could just quote these different passages of Scripture, then if you wanted to go to the next level, if you had ministry aspirations and you wanted to be a teacher of Scripture, you wanted to be a rabbi, you would have to apprentice under a rabbi. And you would have to find a rabbi that would be willing to take you on, and you kind of had to interview with them. So a 12-year-old boy would have went to a rabbi and said, I want to go to the next level. I feel a call to ministry. And then the rabbi and the young boy would have had an exchange of different questions and different interview techniques that they would use. And if the rabbi accepted you, he would say, come follow me. And you would follow this rabbi, his teachings, his interpretations of the law, all of those things. You would be his disciple. If the rabbi rejected you, the rabbi would say, you know what? I don't think you've got what it takes. You need to go into your father's trade, and you need to go into your father's business. When we really first are introduced to the disciples, where do we find them? We find them fishing with who? Their dad. James and John, sons of Zebedee, they're fishing with dad. So they've been rejected, but we still see that they had ministry aspirations because these men didn't just fish. They also followed John's teaching. And they were in his inner circle. They were in his inner clique. They were a part of that close-knit group of the people who followed John the Baptist's teaching. And so these guys still had a heart for ministry. They said, no, I don't want to give up on ministry, but maybe I'm not supposed to be a teacher. I'll just be a fisherman. I'll be bivocational. I'll, I'll do this and this. And that'll be my lot in life. And, and they were just looking for some type of contentment and some type of fulfillment in both doing ministry, which was really in these young men's hearts to do because they had obviously been rejected by a rabbi, and they also wanted to hang on to that family business because that's what they thought they had to do to survive, to bring security. And then they find the biggest catch of their lives, of their career, and Jesus is facing them with the biggest question of their life. Are you going to pursue the fish or are you going to pursue me? And Simon Peter says, I'm a sinful man, 
And they left everything. It says they left everything and followed him because Jesus called yet another time and he's calling them deeper. You know, I think that oftentimes we make excuses because we feel like we're just, we just can't do anything significant for the Lord. We feel that, oh, I'm too busy. We feel, oh, I don't know this enough or know that enough. These guys were criticized too. These 12 disciples, as you read about their lives in Scripture, you find these guys were criticized. There were people that said, why are these guys in leadership? These are unskilled, unlearned men. These guys don't know. They got a, they got a sixth grade education. They don't know anything. 12 years old, these guys were rejected by a rabbi. These guys don't know. What are you talking about? They, they, were, they were marked by the religious leaders of their day as unskilled, unlearned, untrained, but yet God used them in such a powerful way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. I think that we need to learn from this because when Jesus calls, we should obey and trust, not listen to the crowd, not make excuses. He's calling us to a deeper commitment. He's calling us to a deeper abandonment of our personal security to take up our cross and follow Him. Jesus calls us to abandon what we thought we needed for what we truly need. We thought we needed one thing, and Jesus calls us into what we really actually need. The disciples thought maybe we just need financial security. Let's hold on to that. Jesus gave them everything they could have ever wanted. And then Jesus died. What'd they go back to? They went back to fishing. We see after Jesus died, the same group of men that have been following him that they went right back to fishing after they had left everything, after, after Jesus had performed miracles, after they had heard his teachings, after they saw him transfigured from, from God in the flesh to being just God with, with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfigured. They saw this, and, and they witnessed all the things he did. And, and, and then they said, let's, let's just go fishing. Just let's go fishing. Turn over to John chapter 21, and let's read about this encounter. So Jesus has already rose from the grave, and He's called them these three different times to follow Him, to abandon everything, to take up their cross, to follow Him. He called them each time to a deeper place of commitment. He called them each time to a deeper level of abandonment of themselves, of their own security. He called them to a deeper place of trust with Him each time He called. And all the while, there's nudgings and making straight the pathway of the Lord so when He calls, they can say yes. And they said yes each time. And now they found themselves kind of hopeless and they said, let's just go back to what we know. And we find the disciples fishing and then Jesus is on the shore and He's cooking breakfast on the shore. And they're out in the boat fishing and Peter says, somebody's cooking something on the shore. What's going on? He squints his eyes and he looks in the distance and maybe he shades his brow from the sun so he can see a little clearer. And he goes, wait a minute. That's Jesus. Oh my gosh. He barrels out of the boat and he makes just a mad dash swim that Michael Phelps could do nothing to compare to the swim that Peter just sprinted through the water, almost flew. It was almost walking on water part two. He was swimming so hard. It's Jesus. And he sees Jesus on the shore, and he's like, Jesus. And Jesus says, let's have breakfast, guys. And like, we're fishing, and, and now we're eating breakfast with Jesus. 
I mean, my goodness. We went from a place of hopelessness to, to a place of, of going back to our former security, and now we're with Jesus again in His, in His risen state, and this is what happens. In John chapter 21 and verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus looks at Simon Peter and He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And He said, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. He said, to John, he said to Peter, then feed my, feed my lambs. He said, do you love me more than these? He's pointing to the fish, pointing to the boats, pointing to comfort and security. You walked away from all this, and you, you said yes when I called. Now, now you went back to it. <laughs> I want to know, where's your heart? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I love you. All right, well, then go feed my lambs. Jesus doesn't stop there. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, is there an echo in here? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter's grieved. This bothers him because he said to him a third time, Lord, you know everything. You already know my heart. You already know what's there. Why are you even asking me this question? You know everything. Once again, Peter acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, that He's God in the flesh, and now that He's gotten back to that position of being reminded of who Jesus is and that He truly does know all things. He said, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. You walked wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to somewhere you don't want to go. This was a prophetic word from Jesus to show Peter the kind of death he was going to die to glorify God. And then after that, Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. Wow. Again, he says, to the same guy that's been saying yes all along. He says, all right, you, you followed me when, I was with, when you were with John the Baptist, and he said, behold the Lamb of God, and you just wanted to come check things out and see if it was legit. And then later, you guys were mending your nets, and I said, hey, come follow me, and you dropped your nets, and you followed me. And then I got in your boat, and I, and I went and I preached and then afterwards, I said, why don't you cast your nets out? Even though you doubted, you, you still said, nevertheless, at your words, I'll cast my nets out. And you saw all the fish, and then you left everything, and you went and followed me. And then when we were on the Isle of Caesarea Philippi, you, you said that, that I was not Elijah or just some other prophet. You said I was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And I said, I said Simon, Barjona, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has shown you this. You've seen something over and over again, and each time it's caused you to awaken a greater abandonment, a greater commitment, and now I'm asking you, are you willing to follow me even though you know it's going to cost you your life? Because you used to go wherever you want to dress, however you wanted to, and now someone's going to dress you in a way you don't want to be dressed, and they're going to do things to you that you don't want to do and take you places you don't want to go. Come follow me. And then after that, Jesus is not done. Jesus is not done at that point. 
because He wants to say, come follow me even more because Jesus is calling you, He's calling me to a deeper commitment. Jesus is calling Peter to a deeper commitment. And God uses people to prepare hearts. Someone who has made a deeper commitment to following Jesus because Jesus does not call anyone to casually follow Him. Jesus doesn't say, just come follow me when it's convenient, when it works out for you. Come follow me if it fits in your schedule. Maybe you can squeeze some Jesus in once a week. Come follow me when, it's, when it works out for your schedule. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what, disciples? You guys can do both of these things. You, can have, you, you, you don't have to give up everything to follow me. No, don't worry about it. You know, why don't you just take it easy? No, he said, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave everything. And even to the point of death, are you still willing to leave security, leave those things that you used to put hope and security in, and will you put your hope and all your security in me? Do you think I'm that good? Do you think I'm that true? Are you going to follow me? In Luke chapter 9 and verse 57 through 62, Scripture says this, as they were going along the road with Jesus, the disciples were going along with Jesus, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Isn't that awesome? They saw Jesus and they're like, man, this guy is an inspiration. This guy is healing people. This guy is the Messiah, they say. I want to follow him. Hey, Jesus. Yes, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus didn't go, gets me right here, bro. Thanks. No, Jesus looks at this person who makes this commitment and he said, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he looks at the guy. You still willing to come? It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to be something that, you know, I don't have a place to stay. I, so don't get into this because you want to jump on the bandwagon and you want to come build some big, huge house and think you're going to be this really wealthy person because you've come to follow me and you're going to gain some notoriety. I, I I don't even have a place to lay my head. <laughs> you want to come? And then in verse 59, another person, he looks at him and he says, hey, follow me. But he said, no, Lord, I, I got some stuff going on at home, okay? It's, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And instead of trusting that word, person couldn't do this. It just, oh, are you kidding me? Verse 61, yet another said, I'm going to follow you, Lord, but let me first go say goodbye to my mama. That's not what it says, but that's what it means. Don't even play. You know that's what it means. Let me go say farewell to those at my home. No, let me go say goodbye to my mama. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What? This is extreme. This is, this is hardcore. Yeah, it's not casual. Because every time Jesus calls, he's calling to a deeper place of abandonment, a, a deeper place of commitment. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship which was the Apostle Paul's way of trying to 
show the Romans the value of God's mercy in light of God's mercy, in contrast to God's mercy, and in looking at God's mercy and, and seeing how great His mercy is, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you to present your body as a living sacrifice because it's not about you. This is just a holy and, and, and reasonable way to worship God and to serve Him by giving everything because of what He's given for you. There's no way to tip the scale the other direction. It far outweighs, the mercy of God far outweighs the abandonment of self. So today, Jesus is calling you. I believe He's still calling disciples. And I believe He calls disciples more than once. Because we see it's part of, part of what He does. And when, every time He calls us, He's tugging on our heart. And He's speaking to our heart. And He's trying to stir us up. And His Holy Spirit is whispering in our ear and, and trying to lead us and guide us into all truth and, and show us what we are to do and to take those next steps, whether it may be that He's calling you to say yes to an opportunity that's in front of you. Every time you say yes to something, guess what, folks? You've got to say no to something. You just can't keep saying yes. Every time you say yes, there's a no attached to it. So what's the trade-off? Is it worth it? If you say yes, oh, I'm too busy. I'm going to say no. I'm, I, 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 I don't know if I can commit to serving God in that capacity. I mean, I, I still need to go do this and this and this and this. Uh, don't really have a house for you. But I'm still going to take care of you. Don't you know that if you seek first the kingdom of God as righteousness, don't you know I'm going to take care? Don't you know? If you seek his will for your life, if you say yes to what he's wanting you to say yes to, don't you know he's going to take care of those other details that we worry and toil about? This is how we follow Jesus. I don't know what he's calling you to say yes to today, but I do know he's calling you. And whatever he has been stirring in your heart to say yes to, I want you to take a moment to search your heart. I want you to take a moment to search your heart because he does have a purpose for you. Underneath your seats, you have a card that says, I said yes to God. You can grab that card if you'd like. They're under every seat here. You can grab this I said yes to God card. They're perforated on the bottom. You can tear them off, and there's buckets in the back of the sanctuary if you want to drop them off so that we can be praying for you as you make this commitment or so you can take it maybe as a reminder for yourself and hang on to that. Use that I said yes as a bookmark maybe in your Bible to remind yourself of when you said yes. And maybe you're saying yes to God and salvation today. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never truly repented of your sin and turned and put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe today you make that decision and that's your yes. Maybe for another, you're saying yes because you're saying no to some things that have been holding you back and you're wanting to say yes to opportunities that God's put in your pathway. Or you're wanting to say yes to stepping up in the things he's called you to be more disciplined in or the things that he's calling you to begin to start in your life or to pick back up. Maybe you're saying yes to that passion or that dream or that purpose that he's put on the inside of you that God has been calling you to, but you've been making excuses. Maybe you're saying yes to a new fresh commitment. Whatever the case may be, say yes to God today because Jesus is calling. He's used all these people 
all these people in all, all these different areas, all these different spheres of influence. Maybe uh, uh, the, God used the greeter this morning. God's using the sound man. God may be using the people working the video cameras and working the video switching. God may be using the person in the cafe that said hello to you today. God may be using the person that's watching your child so you can sit in here under, un, un, undistracted and focus on what God's doing in your heart. Maybe God used the worship team today. Maybe God used me today speaking his word to you. All of these people helping to make straight the pathway of the Lord to get to your heart today so you could say yes. And this is your opportunity. He's calling you to say yes. I don't know what to. I'm not going to try to pretend that I know. But I do know that he's calling us to say yes. To think he's, he's, he's drawing us to himself. He's saying, will you take up your cross and follow me? Jesus never said, take up my cross. He said, take up your cross and follow me. You know what that means? Something has to die. And it has to be our flesh, our selfishness, ourselves, our old man, so that our new identity can be wrapped and found and hid in Christ. And so we can begin to live out our purpose in Christ. So in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. And I live out that new creation life, understanding that he's calling me to say yes. At the end of the service today, before you go, I do want you to know that we, we have a prayer team that's going to be up here at the front. And if you have any need of any kind, you can ask them to pray for you. But if there's anything specific related to the message about something God's calling you to say yes to, we'd love to pray for you about that too. If you've never received Christ and today you've made that decision or you just want someone to pray with you about that, we'd love to do that too. We're here for you. We want to make ourselves available to minister to you, to pray for you in whatever capacity you may need. But whatever you do, when you leave this place, make sure whatever God's drawing you to, whatever he's calling you to, that you're going, yes, Lord. I'm willing to say yes. The path has been made straight. My heart's been touched. Help me to say yes. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with our church family. I pray that you help us to grow. I pray you help us to say yes and make that deeper commitment and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.